Hey everybody, it's Tanya Adlita, host of both Recovering Church Girls and the Single Parent Summit. And today is another one of our super special bonus episodes because this conversation is going to cross into both worlds, both Recovering Church Girls and Single Parent Summit. And if you've been around the summit for a minute, you already know August 3. So first of all, hi August. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to have this conversation uh, because there's so many layers to everything that we're going to talk about and kind of how they all dovetail together. And really one informs the other. And as I mentioned, if you've been around Single Parent Summit, you already know August because she's our community manager within the Facebook group. And she's also been with us from the very beginning of the first year of the summit and then again uh, in 2018 for our second our second annual event as well. So heavily involved on all counts there, and I'm so very grateful for that. Oh, well, I'm honored <laughs> to be part of it because I think I really, I really do just think it's, it's an amazing resource for single parents and just honestly in general, just for people who, you know, want to learn more about these things and being more efficient in their lives in lots of different areas. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's like, you know, we talk about it being the single parent summit, and yet at the same time, you know, so many different things are applicable for all of us. It's kind of like that general adulting 101 and you know parenting skills (laughs) and co-parenting and blended families and all the rest of it so if you guys don't know what we're talking about yet uh, check it out at the singleparentsummit.com August and Kirsten and I have all sorts of things in the works for you guys coming in 2019 but that's not what we're going to talk about right now so if you want to find out you better find us and join the mailing list and then we'll keep you posted there because right now what we want to talk about is digging a little deeper into our childhood and into our past and the ways in which August and I were both raised and then how that informed us in the decisions we made and you know kind of who we were and how we showed up in the course of our marriages, um, both of which neither one of us are still in. So that's a pretty good indicator right there uh, and how we got into <laughs> be the role of being single moms. Uh, but anyway, um, I know, right? I, we seriously <laughs> no. need sound effects here. So August, with that kind of a, you know, let's just jump right in. Tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. your childhood and really kind of how you, how you grew up, but specifically family dynamics, gender roles, spirituality, mm. church influence. Like, you know, I know a lot of your story Ooh. because we've been best friends forever, um, but nobody yeah. else does. So the floor is yours, my yeah. dear. Oh, wow. Okay. So going all the way back, um, I grew up in Pittsburgh in not, not such a great neighborhood, the kind of neighborhood where the police sort of drive through or go around and don't stop in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, I say that because it was an interesting dynamic for me because when you're growing up in it, you don't really think about it that way. You don't, you don't see it until you leave. Mm. (laughs) And then you look back and go, Oh, that wasn't really great. Like it's not actually um, a great thing to be hearing gunshots right around the corner in the alleyway on a regular basis or for a bullet to fly through the living room window, say, Mm. or um, a man gets stabbed on the front porch steps. And that's just not, um, I don't really really like using the word normal. Mm, so right. I guess maybe average or, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people who grew up in that situation, but that's not necessarily the kind of environment that you want to have your child, you know, live in. However, that being said, I think it also taught me a lot about humanity, hmm. um, you know, both the positive and the negative. And it just, it, from a very young age, I remember being aware of having to choose who I wanted to be. Oh, interesting. Um, And so that as a backdrop, my mom was 17 when she had me. And so my grandmother was incredibly instrumental in raising me. Um, And around, and my mom was a little bit rebellious and everything. So around the age of five, for me, my mom sort of found Jesus and, and got saved. And then I distinctly remember, it is a very vivid memory of mine, of her coming into my bedroom and kneeling next to my bed with me and saying, this is who we are now. We are Christians. This is the Bible. She sort of just laid it all out for me. And 
and then said that I was going to accept Jesus into my heart and led me in a prayer. And I remember being confused, Hmm. like, okay, but you know, you want to please your parents. And, and so I did the prayer. And then she said, I was then going to speak in tongues. Wow, and, you just went from like, you know, zero to 60 there in, in the Christian evangelical charismatic <laughs> experience. Yeah, it was. And I, I definitely remember in my five-year-old mind going, I don't know what that means. And I felt really frustrated because I was clearly disappointing her. She kept trying to get me. She kept saying, just relax your tongue. Just relax your tongue. And I was trying, but I was like, I don't really know what that means. How do I relax my tongue? And then what happens? And she said, there's just going to be noises that come out. And I just, I remember the whole interaction so clearly because I felt like such a disappointment. Mm. And at the end of it, it felt like an eternity to me. Of course, who knows, you know, as a child, five minutes feels like an eternity. So however long it was when she got up and finally left the room, she said, well, we'll try again later. And it was sort of like very clear that I hadn't achieved what I was mm, supposed to achieve. Wow. So that was my introduction into Christianity. Jeez. And um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to, to sort of, I, I don't know really how to explain my mom, but I think in my adult years, looking back, I was able to see that she was trying to make up for a lot of what she felt were mistakes and things that had happened to her and things that she had chosen in her younger years leading up to that point. And as a result, her pendulum swung so far in the other direction that it was definitely very much a beat people over the head with scripture type of environment that I grew Mm -hmm. up in. Mm -hmm. So, um, and fear-based, very, very fear-based. So to fast forward, I'm, I become a teenager. I'm, I remember being 13, and for my birthday present that year, I got a purity ring. I don't know Sorry. if we're even touching on that topic. But. Well, yeah, we might, <laughs> might as well. Um, we have talked about the purity movement uh, already within the Recovering Church Girls, but honestly, I think it's something that we can't talk about enough because it's so yeah. pervasive in how it impacts who we are, especially because they're at such pivotal ages that we have these conversations and these expectations without really having the full story. And yet we have an overboard information from, you know, this other one very specific, very narrow area. So it does, I mean, let's be honest, it's a bit of a mind fuck when you finally actually start to understand all the things that you were told, why you were told them, and then realize how that came to impact who you became as a woman. Um, So yeah, absolutely. We can go there. As far as I'm concerned, we can go wherever you want to go because there's a lot, there's just so much here is really, you know, what it comes down to. Yeah, it was, you know, and it's so, it's so crazy processing it as an adult later on, you know what I mean? Because obviously when you're in it, it's just all that you know. And particularly for myself, because my mom, like I said, just really jumping in and saturating our entire life with the culture Um, the interesting thing was, is that she didn't attend church. So she didn't really like church. She was incredibly judgmental of most pastors Hmm. and church environments. And we would visit one and then she'd go, oh, well, they didn't. Like, according to her, she kind of, she knew the interpretation of the scripture. There were certain people that she liked um, as far as like people on TV and such that were Mm -hmm. teachers and speakers and everybody else was just not good enough. And so she, I know, so she didn't attend church and we would watch these like speakers and different things like that on Sunday morning. But, um, but yeah, when I was a teenager, she was very much about the purity movement. And now I can understand, obviously she got pregnant, um, at 16, had me at 17 and I can see her being like, I don't want the same thing happening to my daughter. Sure. Um, But the conversation was so brief. I'm going to tell you exactly what it was. She handed me the ring. I opened it, and it was a gold, it was a thin gold wedding band. And I remember opening it and looking at it, and she goes, that's a purity ring. And I was like, oh. And she said, that means you're not going to have sex until you get married. And then she took it out of the box and put it on my ring finger, my left hand, and said, and if you do, 
you have to take it off and give it back to me. And I was already scared of her, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, gee, I wonder why. And that was the conversation. Yeah, that was it. And I was like, yeah. And that was it. And so it wasn't really a conscious choice. Like, um, would you like to make this decision? Um, right. This is, you know, this is a beautiful gift that you have. I didn't even get that part, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> it was just sort of, you're not going to do it or you'll face my wrath. <laughs> yeah, and, it feels like there was a lot of, there were a lot of things growing up that that was kind of the underlying theme. And even yeah. when the explanations were there, it's so interesting because you know, I can agree with completely with what you said a second ago about as an adult trying to turn back and like unpack it all and, and sort things out much more clearly than we could when we were kids because we didn't know anything other than our own experiences. And I feel like that was part right. of kind of the overall plan, you know, like kind of isolate us <laughs> so that we don't mm -hmm. talk to each other and compare notes and figure out that, you know, <laughs> we're not the only ones that are having these experiences <laughs> or thoughts or, or, you know, meltdowns or whatever the case might be. Um, but man, right. you know, we were never encouraged to have these kinds of conversations it was just, here's what it is, period. And there was no question as to it, whether yeah. or not we were going to accept it or have any questions or any, you know, any of the rest of it. And yet at the same time, I can look back and I can see certain places where my parents actually encouraged me to question authority, but only when it was authority they wanted questioned. Does that make sense? Oh, yes, absolutely. It does. But I know um, from... Yeah, that Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say that resonates because I know my mom was sort of anti-establishment in some ways, but don't I dare question her or even question her interpretation of what God mm. said. Right. Right. It's you so know? interesting. And I find it so interesting yeah. that you guys didn't have a specific church community that you were a part of, which it just, I mean, well, I, know, I know more of the story, so it kind of amuses me. Um, it just in yeah. the sense of like, <laughs> Yeah, I can totally see your mom playing that card and the idea of, nope, we're going to sit here and we're going to watch so-and-so on TV and this is going to be our service. Because um, we certainly mm -hmm. did that, you know, throughout the, the time period too. Like I remember having a lot of teaching tapes that I needed to listen to um, that was like part of my requirements, um, you know, different, yeah. different things like that. So yeah, yeah, I, I totally get it. Yeah, well, it was interesting because our community, even though we didn't attend church, so I, I was around a lot of Catholics because my mom was very, very involved in the extreme pro-life movement. Mm. So I, that was our community. And I was one of the older children, so I tended to babysit a lot of the other people's children. Mm -hmm. So some of the, you know, in the 80s when um, all of that sort of blew up and like the late 80s, maybe early nineties, a little bit, um, when that whole pro-life thing of people were getting arrested on a regular basis. I know Pittsburgh was pretty, um, it was in the news a lot in Pittsburgh and, you know, they were sitting in front of the doors and, and planting bombs and empty abortion clinics and just that extremist. That was, that was our crew, you know? Wow. <laughs> and I remember being at their houses, these, these major leaders and people who, whose names have been in the news and such and being in their houses, watching all the kids while the adults were having these meetings and, and making their plans. And, and I don't mean to say that I should, I should probably have a disclaimer where I don't have any judgment at this stage. Um, I've, I've kind of cast all that aside um, because every single person involved in the peripheral of my own experience and my own story, they have their stories. Right. And they have their reasons and their things that brought them to the to the choices that they made. So I don't really hold judgment against it, but it's it's sort of makes me chuckle because again, like like we said, the thing is you don't know any different because that's what I grew up around. Right. And I remember being I remember distinctly at fourteen years old, um, starting to notice discrepancies and starting to think, wait a minute, like I've been reading my Bible. Um what I'm picking up is a whole lot of love, mm. but this doesn't seem to make sense to me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I started to ask questions and I think that probably 
could could define if you were going to create a chapter from like age 14 to age like 27 (laughs) it would be asking questions because that's sort of the category I fell into I got a lot of pats on the head a lot of read more of the bible a lot of everything happens for a reason a lot of um you know just trust trust God trust the bible trust my interpretation of what this bible verse means um and all of that and I think that to be honest I chose to move my life into the ministry lifestyle because number one it was mainly all that I knew Mm -hmm. and number two I felt like I knew that I wanted to do something with my life that felt like there was a greater purpose to it Mm. where I was helping people and doing something with you know a larger purpose behind it and ministry was the only thing I knew that was capable of doing that at the time that's the only thing I had been exposed to and and so I went into like larger ministries like teen mania and internship with them and then um stayed on with them for some extra time after my internship and then I went with another ministry that was very influential in the youth ministry space and the founder of that ministry actually was friends with a lot of major world Christian leaders. And so I found myself literally eating at the dinner table with some of these people, founder of Christ for the Nations Institute. Um, well, just like some of these major Christian leaders around the world and teaching their teenagers because I was working with a youth ministry. Um, and here I am, 20, 21, 22, 23 years old, and I'm teaching these teenagers of these major world leaders that I had read stories about. Mm. And I'm looking, and that was when, and, I be, and then I got pregnant. And that was when I started thinking, do I want my family to look like that? Well, and I should say, you married and honestly, also, just to clarify that piece. Oh, yeah. Um, we forgot that part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I married young. I met him, obviously. um, Well, not I shouldn't say obviously, but met him in the youth ministry. He walked in the doors one day, and everyone was just like, this guy. And to be fair, he's a nice guy, but everyone was like, this one is perfect for you. Um, You know, and I had, so that story is, I, I had some doubts. When he proposed, I actually didn't put the ring on right away, and even my very best friend was just like, what are you doing? He's a nice guy. And I don't think I was given a voice. Mm. I was given a platform to have a voice for those doubts. Mm, yeah. And that's not to say that the whole thing was a horrible idea. I have three beautiful children and some incredible experiences during the 11 years that we were married. But it was more, I was so saturated with that belief that God brings a mate that person tells you so he had said to me God told me that the next person I date is going to be my wife and I just accepted that yeah sorry I didn't realize what a visceral reaction I was going to have on that um, because you know very (laughs) similar experience but I think that sometimes Mm -hmm. when when we're in these kinds of situations like ah I get I get hung up on this because on one hand I firmly believe that we are each responsible for the lives that we create and the idea that, you know, in some way, shape or form, we either accept something or we intentionally create it by, you know, whatever it is that we're putting out into the universe. And if we're willing to simply accept things the way they are. However, I also firmly believe very, very much that you and I both were products of an environment in which not only were we kind of separated from ourselves in the idea of, you know, we didn't have a voice, we didn't have a safe place to think through or talk through things. And of course you and I are both verbal processors, so they kind of go hand in hand, but then Mm -hmm. even beyond that, it was the expectation that we will simply accept whatever everybody else feels is God's will for our lives. And so therefore we're kind of like, we're up a Creek without a paddle, multiple times over in the same conversation because if we never knew our voice to start with we were never allowed to voice our questions or our doubts or our concerns and then on top of that 
you know, we couldn't possibly have a direct relationship with God or feel, and no, hold on, I need to back up because we were encouraged to have that. And yet very much in whatever framework, whoever was at the pulpit was telling us like, right. you know, it just, it had right. to look like their definition of a relationship with God. And, you know, mm-hmm. if we might, if we might have an inkling or an inclination of what we feel like God is telling us to do, then it better be verified by two or three other people higher up in the ministry, usually men that would confirm (laughs) the word of God in our lives before it was given any validity. So it's just like, there's so many layers to how we both ended up marrying young marrying men that didn't even have their own formative life together. And yet we Uh -uh. were all told that this is what we need to do. And then let's get into the idea of what a good Christian wife looks like, because that's definitely something that you and I both fell prey to. Yeah. Well, and, and there's a couple of other layers to this too, because going back, my mom was always, I have one brother that I grew up with and she was always like, there's a man's role and there's a woman's role. So she was very traditionalist with that. And she spent her entire life that I was there. And even to this day, uh, a few months ago, when we buried my grandfather, her father, um, she was saying some of the same things to her friend. And I'm thinking, how are you still believing this? Mm, but, wow. but she was saying, I just need to, you know, when is God going to send me my husband? She's literally been waiting ever since her and my father got divorced because they got married. Um, right before I was born, so obviously incredibly young as well. Um, she she was constantly waiting for a man to come along, and then life would get put together. She wouldn't go get a regular job. She would get these temporary situations because a woman's place is in the home, and so she would only work and try and, like, pay the bills and relied a lot on my grandparents for that, to be honest. Um, and literally, like, in her mind, my grandfather was supposed to take care of her until a man came along in her life to then take mm-hmm. care of her. And she said so much at his wedding. I mean, that, not at his wedding, at his funeral. And so I grew up in that mindset, even though I wholeheartedly rejected it in my heart. I was like, uh, no, because my <laughs> brother didn't have to do half the chores that I had to do. Mm. You know, um, that's still what I was sort of raised in. And then I the man that I married, his family was incredibly patriarchal. Mm -hmm. And although he was a a kind individual, um, his family still believed the same thing. When I decided to go back to school, they were like, well, you have children. Your biggest role is to be at home with your children. Mm -hmm. And it was like a family discussion. Mm -hmm. And I had to sort of do the thing where I really don't care what you think (laughs) because this is what I'm going to do, you know? Um, and then, so layer on top of that, when I was growing up, I heard so much children are to be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. So not only was the female role diminished as far as like in the world, I had one place that I needed to be and that was in the home. Um, but also my voice was diminished from being a child as well. So even when I grew up, you know, it's not like all of a sudden you pass a certain age and you're like, oh, now my voice is valid. It doesn't happen that way. And same thing with, with the purity movement and everything else. When you spend so much time ingraining these things into someone, it's not as though <laughs> there's like one day they wake up and they're like, oh, I don't need that belief anymore. And they are just able to move past it. You know, right, you sort of have like to process quickly. through it. Yeah. Well, right. of course, the, the verse that comes to mind is train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is <laughs> yeah. old, he will not depart from it. Do you know how many scriptures right. I have been rattling off the top of my head during the course of these programs? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Talk about, like, it's so interesting to me, and you and I have talked about this off air as well, but the idea of the more that we are connected spiritually in our own way right now, kind of, you know, off book, if you will, the more that it rings true to so many of the scriptures that we were exposed to when we were younger, and it looks nothing Mm -hmm. like the programming that we were told. So it's just kind of, it's always confusing to me where I'm like, um, I think maybe the church has it ever so slightly, completely, totally wrong, because this (laughs) feels more true 
it still can yeah. be based back to, you know, if you want to tie it back to Christian roots, you can, but you don't have to at the same time. So anyway, it just, that kind of amuses me when those types of things happen. But yeah, it really does become right. this layer upon layer. And that's, okay, see, we kind of glossed over this. You mentioned Teen Mania Ministries, and that's where you and I met. Um, and we yeah. will be talking about this in much more detail coming up soon. Because I think that that was really, for me, where we, <laughs> how do I say this? Put it this way. The ministry was then highlighted a few years later on one of those, like, Nightline 2020 type shows about being a cult. And I think that yeah. for those of us that experienced it, on one hand, there was this, wait, what? And then the more that we sat with that, it was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. Can see that now. <laughs> but I don't know about yeah. you. I mean, that took me that took me a good maybe two years to really sit with and be like, Yeah, you know what? I think I was in a right. cult for a year. And the first time I said that to one of my dear friends, she turned and looked at me and she said, I think it was more like thirty, Tanya. And that really yeah. threw me for a loop too, because I was like, okay, wait a second. I totally see what you're saying. You know, the environments in which we were raised, the, the communities that we came from really were so restrictive in not only, uh -huh. you know, the rules that we had to follow, but more specifically, the lack of diversity of other ways of thinking, of other ways of being. And it was very much this us versus them type of experience. And I don't think that is specific to the evangelical church, but I feel like it's strong, very strong in both that community yeah. and the charismatic. And of course, you know, we got the double whammies of those. Right. And I think that the, the mindset, unfortunately, um, with a lot of those kinds of ministries, and even the ones that I was like leader in, you know, I was right there. Um, the mindset is that we're going to create the kind of, you know, quote unquote society that we think is ideal mm -hmm. instead of, hey, let's equip people with the qualities that enable them to move through the world as incredible people, like what, incredible Christian people, incredible whatever kind of people. But the idea, is, that's where I think it's backwards. It's not necessarily the beliefs. Mm -hmm. It's that in order to hold those beliefs, you have to sequester yourself mm. from everyone else. Yeah. And then you either, you either push that on to people who try and come, you know, come close to you, or you completely cut them off. Right. And... That whole, and like, that's where it gets to the cult of the world type of thing. Right. Yeah. And that's where it gets to the cult side where it's like, we should be able to, if, if this is a strong belief that you have, and, and this is faith, you should be able to stand with that faith in the midst of a tornado. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like right. you should be the eye of the storm and that should be okay. And I totally get obviously like, needing times where you pull away and, and that's a whole self-care thing and that's a whole separate issue but that's where you get into the cult thing because I mean with Teen Mania we didn't have television we weren't allowed to watch the news we weren't allowed to listen to secular music it was a complete and utter removal mm -hmm. of the outside world there's a chunk of like life and things that happened that I'm completely unaware of I'm still finding out sometimes stuff today Oh, yeah, like, same here. <laughs> my partner will mention things, and, and he'll be like, oh, you don't remember this big story, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, I think that was during the time where I was like, <laughs> not of the world, you know? Right, exactly. Okay, so question for you. As we're, we're talking about yeah. this with kind of our foundation, um, you know, again, and just so much crossover that you and I both had, even though we were, you know, states and states apart and didn't know each other until, what, 1995, I think it was? Uh, but with yeah. that idea, then now fast forward, we were each in marriages that did not work out for a multitude of reasons. A lot of mm -hmm. that, I feel like from my side, at least, and, and yours, just knowing based on what we've talked about, that we can tie a lot of this back to not even really being fully in our own skin individually until, mm -hmm. you know, kind of until we were. And then once we came back into ourselves, we knew too much to stay in those situations. Um, and, you know, yeah. again, each one of us, there's way more to the story um, that we, we won't be going into. But 
when I think about that as it relates to then our roles as parents and specifically with the spirituality, I'd love to talk about how being a single mom in the post deconstruction of our identities as Christians, what that looks like now, because you and I were both going through this, you know, I'm so grateful that we had each other and, and Jen and several others of our community that have stayed really tight, but to really be able to process all of this with each other. And then we'd run into things with our kids where it's like, I remember texting both you and Jen with something came up with my kids and I automatically replied as if I were the child in this situation, what was told to me. And as soon as the words Mm -hmm. were out of my mouth, I went, I don't actually believe that. That's not what I wanted to say. And now I've got to sit here and like pull it back and try and figure out how to parent them from a place of either neutrality or positivity and not this fear-based thing that, you know, I was really raised in. Um, So just, again, so many layers as we think about how we parent intentionally to create not only the values that we all hold in common, um, which some of this I think we could tie back, but then also to have more of an openness when it comes to spirituality and faith and how we practice it and to have an open questioning. And when you've got two different parents, two different families that, you know, both of us are in situations where the other household still maintains going to church and some structure that we've both let go of. So I'd love yeah. to hear, you know, kind of your thoughts on, on that <laughs> and what that's looked like for you guys. Well, um, I will say that first it required, as most things do, a lot of healing for myself. Because I think, like I said, when I had my first kid, and I remember he was in four different countries before he was two years old because I was still doing all the mission stuff and I was leading these trips. So I had him, I stuck him in the sling, you know, strapped him right on and just kept on going and all the time thinking, and I remember pointedly asking people like leaders, other leaders at the time, how do you, what was your plan for raising a family in this environment? And people didn't really have answers for me because, and I started to realize they didn't make a plan for their family. They just thought Mm. this is what God wants me to do. And now I'm having kids, so they're just going to sort of come along. And some of them did it better than others as far as, like, you know, their children not becoming hugely, like, rebellious or loathing them or, you know. But um, I just knew I wanted my kids to feel like they had a voice because I guess that would be – that would probably be my theme is I never felt I had a voice. Mm. And – from the moment my mom got saved and sat down and said, here's what you're going to do. And then you're going to speak in tongues. It was never, you know, I just was never, it was never like, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And so how I parent to answer that became a, how do you feel? What do you think about this? And approach and not in the way that I am, um, <laughs> You know, like a lot of people are just like, oh, okay, so you just like let the kids run everything and whatever. (laughs) And no, I had expectations of them. And we adopted what I called our family values, um, which I made sure they could be based in, you know, scripture, if you would like them to be, because their father is still heavily involved in the church. But they also are just qualities that good people should have. Integrity, honesty kind words, loving hands. It's just compassion. Um, It's just ways that I hope my children are this way, no matter if they become atheists or agnostics or Buddhist or whatever it is, you know, and it's, it's hard because there have been times, like you said, where they'll say something or they'll do something. And my gut reaction is right back, you know, (laughs) right back to that old conditioning that I've had, but then I try to just think, okay, long-term, is this a damaging, like whatever they're saying or doing right now, is that going to be damaging long-term? Is that going to be damaging to the adult that they're becoming, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's how I just 
I just always try and process it that way. And to be honest, it's exhausting. It is exhausting to think of alternative ways to try and positively guide your children. And yeah, did I resort to spanking a time or two? I did. Because there are times when you're just like, I don't know what else to do. Um, and I'm not going to get into the whole argument because I know everyone parents differently. I don't have like a hard stance on that necessarily, but I just knew I didn't want the same thing that I was raised with. Right. And so I tried to find ways to teach the lessons I wanted them to learn without using the methods of fear and I'm lording over you all the time and you have no voice and no choice, mm. um, you know, in your life or in what you want to believe. And I just constantly, with the, to speak to what you're saying about having two different households, I just constantly ask those questions. I'm still the question asker. So when my son comes to me and says, well, I'm going to get married when I'm 21 because that's what dad did. And, you know, and then my sarcastic self is like, um, well, how did that work out for him? Because <laughs> I believe I'm the other half of that situation. <laughs> but, but then I ask him, well, what do you think your life's going to look like at 21? You know, and instead of saying, that's a horrible idea, right? <laughs> you know, um, I ask him questions and I constantly tell him, I don't want you to take what anybody says to you as this is just going to be my belief now without asking, is this really what I believe? Is this really what resonates in my heart? I tell him, I mean, he's old enough for me to say that to him now mm, right. um, in that way because he's 17. But yeah, I've told him no matter if it's your grandparents, your father, me, your pastor, your friends, I don't want someone to say something to you and you just to be like, yep, without thinking it through. Mm-hmm. And so I hope <laughs> that carries through. But, you know, my, my goal is just not to contradict the things that he's learning at his dad's or in that church is just to cause him to ask the questions and find what actually speaks to him mm-hmm. or to them, I should say, cause it's not just him. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting to me. And I know we've talked about this a little bit on the single parent summit before, But I found that the more that we dig deep into this kind of stuff, and it doesn't even have to be like the deep, big, scary things, but even just the day-to-day, I feel like in so many ways, raising my kids has really, it's been such a mirror, you know, kind of back to me, but also it's given me an opportunity to reparent myself in some ways. And, you know, I had a bit of an idyllic childhood. You know, I was very close with my parents. I still am. They're still together. We moved around an Mm -hmm. obnoxious amount of times, Um, you know, 16 Mm -hmm. times before I graduated high school that I'd moved. So I have this like internal clock that keeps wanting to pull away from people like every year and a half because I think it's time to move again. Um, But, (laughs) you know, like, so I, you know, I've got quirks based on that. But really, you know, it was a good childhood. I think that in a lot of ways, it wasn't until I was in probably my late 30s before I started to see the foundation as being one of fear and control. And I don't think that my parents ever saw it in that moment because, again, you know, much like us, it was all that they knew at that particular time as well. And I look at both of the families of origin for each of them, and I think, you know, first of all, I'm so grateful that they decided to move away to start their own family because they've talked about it, you know, since then, like going, can you imagine if we stayed in the same Mm -hmm. town where everybody was and just what a cluster that would have been. But anyway, all of this to say, you know, I think it's in the role of parenting that there's such an opportunity when we really kind of take our ego out of the equation and we're able to learn along with our kids and help almost like build them up to the point where we are now and all of the work that we've done, you know, all of the internal work, all the therapy, all the writing, all of the reading, you know, all of these things that then now inform who we've become when we can equip our kids with that level of knowledge and experience and not have the same kind of restrictions that we did, 
I'd like to think, and I could be delusional, but I would like to think <laughs> that we're setting them up for a much richer and fulfilling and full of potential life that we can kind yeah. of, you know, nudge them along a little further than what we were, you know, for them to be able to have right. those kinds of conversations as teenagers, more so than having to right. wait until they're in their late 30s. 30s, yeah. Well, and, and to that point, it brings up a story for me because I, when I was growing up, you know, being gay in the 80s was an insult. You, mm. you would call someone if, if you were trying to be mean to them. And, and then, of course, you know, getting involved in ministry and church and everything like that. At that time, there were, it was right around the time period where the average coming out age went for, dropped from 28 to 14. Hmm. So, and that's when I was in youth ministry. So the ministry that I was working in, we had a small handful of kids who were like, yeah, I'm gay. And um, this is super embarrassing. So I'm just going to talk about a fail of mine, but it's a story that I share with my kids because I want to teach them not to be that way. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, obviously the platform that we grew up in, this is, this is, can I be as harsh to say an abomination? You know, this is not right. This is not how God intended things, et cetera, et cetera. So all of those beliefs, even though I thought that I was kinder, mm. I still, there was one young man who um, I was teaching dance to, and he had not even admitted to himself that that's what he was struggling with, that that's how he felt. He felt like he was gay, but he was about 14 years old. And I actually... Um, it was revealed to me in a dream, which I know is a whole nother layer of things, but it was revealed to me in a dream that that's what he was struggling with. And I came up to him and said, Hey, I had this dream about you. And he looked at me and tears just started flowing down Aww. his face. And he said that he hadn't told anyone. He hadn't even, his family didn't know his sister who he was really close with didn't know he was scared because he, he thought if he said anything that his dad would disown him. And he shares all of this with me. And I looked at him and said, that is not what God wants for you. <laughs> like, I just want to cry right now almost. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Because I was a trusted leader in his life. And I looked at him and told him that he could work through it. Mm. And that that was not what God wanted for him. And that he needed to pray more. And that I loved him anyway, quote unquote. Yeah. And, um... And I felt good about that, you know, and then move forward. And a very, very dear friend of mine came out of the closet um, to his brother. And I was there and knowing him prior to him saying, okay, guys, I'm gay. And him being just like a family member to me, it completely, it created a paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. It completely changed everything. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. God loves him just as much. This is not, I'm not going to look mm. at him and tell him this is not, you know, that he's not in God's will right? or any of that bull crap, you know, right. like, and, and it caused me to step back and go, whoa, that is a bunch of bullshit. Like mm -hmm. God loves people. We're supposed to love people. It's not my place to tell them what they feel. Right. And the bottom line is, if you're not hurting other human beings, mm -hmm. then I have no place to tell you anything. Right. Like I, it's just my job to love and accept you. And so at that point I felt like, yeah, I think it had been like six years since I had completely damaged this young man <laughs> mm. and he had moved out of state and fast forward a couple more years. He was on my mind then. Cause I thought, Oh my God, I have to make this right. You know? And through the magic of Facebook, we became reconnected. And I started messaging him. And just in the beginning, it was like, oh, what are you doing? What are you up to? And then I thought, can I bring this? I don't even know if he still remembers this moment, you know? And I sort of broached the topic. And he said, I thought you might bring that up. Hmm. And, of course, he did remember it. And I remembered that after that, fairly quickly, within six months, he sort of dropped off. Hmm. He was there every day, all the time, hanging out with everyone. And then he sort of got a new group of friends and dropped off. And that my, my conversation with him was pivotal hmm. because he just did not feel accepted, obviously. 
And I told him, I ended up taking him to lunch and was just like, I am deeply, deeply sorry. I was wrong. You know, I, I was working with what I knew at the time. And unfortunately, that was damaging to you. And, you know, and I just had to sort of say, I, I obviously I love you and I accept you. And that's why I am so outspoken about like LGBTQ um, rights and things like that now, because I know like where I came from and right. I feel like I need to, I need to sort of like be a voice. Mm-hmm. And I tell my kids that story because now with other issues like uh, transgender and there's, there's always like something for the generation, which is like, Oh, I didn't quite understand that. And I'm constantly telling them those things. Like it's not your job to understand it. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel that way, it's okay. Right. Um, you don't have to feel that way, but you do need to love and accept people, mm-hmm. human beings. That's it. That's your only job. And if you can do that, then you're good. Right. You know? And I love that that is so much simpler and far more open and accepting than the idea that we were taught of love the sinner, hate the sin, because there was right. this push pull type of a thing in this. And again, the idea that, you know, we're the city on the hill and, you know, in the world and mm-hmm. of it and, you know, all of the things that separated well, it's us elitist. from people that were different. Oh my goodness. So elitist. Yes, 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 yes. Right. I mean, it, it puts you on a different layer, but when we really look back into the Bible, that's not what Jesus did at all. Right. Right. You know, when he walked around, he did exactly the opposite of that. He didn't wear all the fancy robes. He wasn't hanging out with the Pharisees. He Or wait, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Pharisees, right? Fair, Why did that word sound weird to me? For a second? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We haven't said yeah, these I mean, words in like 10 years, but yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, he was hanging out with the prostitutes and tax collectors, and he was having dinner with them, and he was, he was doing that. So if he were here today... He'd be hanging out with the transgenders. He'd be holding the, the rainbow signs and calling for, you know, legalizing gay marriage, and which I know we've already done. But I'm saying, like, that would be – that's where Jesus would be right. because that's where he was at that time. And I don't know how or where that got lost. Mm. But, yes, the group the, – the culture that we grew up in was this elitist, we've found the answer. Mm-hmm. If you're blessed enough, we will – we will share that answer with you, you know, and, and then you can then accept that as your answer and become part of us, mm-hmm. you know, right. and that's just, I don't think that's ever how it was intended to be. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I, I could not agree with you more. I mean, it, it obviously it stands to reason that we would agree on this just given not only our shared experiences, but also our individual experiences that have had this kind of crossover and the fact that we do have the kind of friendship that we can talk openly about all of these things. And I'm, I'm grateful for that because I think that's something that not everyone has in their lives, you know, cause when we talk about, you know, we're not, we're not just like, how's the weather today? You know, it's the, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I got triggered and I realized that this went back to something I experienced in third grade and then again in seventh grade. Oh, and gosh. Like, I mean, you know, yeah. we go deep in our conversations and it doesn't always have to be like that. But because we can, I feel like it enables us to go through these things a bit more, you know, effectively, I guess. And, and just the, right. the things that used to take us, you know, months <laughs> and sometimes months of therapy on, on top of it. You know, it, it's a little bit easier to work through when you've got people that you can have these conversations with and to be able to say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm realizing yeah. that I'm not connected with my body right now and I need to go, you know, take a hot bath so I can like reconnect with myself. You know, just little things that we've found that have been effective to bring us back together instead of be scattered in not only how we behave, but also what we think and what we value and how all of that comes together as, you know, basically just how we show up in the world. Yeah. And, and I think that that actually, again, like I said, going back to the beginning, I don't hold judgment against people because I've really, really honed in on what I gained from being in that culture or even the cult. Right. Um, 
I think as a result, it did save me from some bad decisions Mm -hmm. because I was so ingrained and surrounded by that. So yeah, I know the direction I probably would have gone as a teenager. And so it, it, you know, being involved in ministry and things like that saved me from some poor decisions. But I think the greatest thing that I gained from that sort of upbringing and involvement was the ability to pointedly go inside Mm -hmm. and pull out, you know, things from inside of me, like hurts and pains and, you know, all the times you spend at the altar and, (laughs) and talking to strangers about like whatever you're crying about and bringing it to God, but really you're bringing it to people because you have to say it in front of people in order to quote unquote, bring it to God. Mm. Um, And all of that. So you sort of, you really learn in a moment's notice when someone asks you one question to answer them honestly and Mm -hmm. dig in. And I've noticed as I've gotten into like regular adulthood outside of ministry and such that that's not a skill that a lot of adults have. Um, And even when I went to therapy, well, yeah. And even when I went to therapy, the, the therapist, I walked in and he has been a a therapist for 25 years you know, sort of a name and all that kind of stuff. And the first day I sat down with him, he, I forget even the question that he asked me. He asked me a question. And I remember thinking in my head, well, I'm here for therapy, so I'm just going to be honest, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so I gave him a very, like, heartfelt, honest answer. And he stopped and he looked at me and he goes, in 25 years of therapy, I think that you have the most open heart of anyone I've worked with. Hmm. He's like, you just you just opened it up. It's just, it's just out there. And I thought, and I said like, well, that's what I'm here for, you know? Right. Exactly. But at the same time, I was able to tap into like the deep things right away. And I definitely know that I learned that from being involved in ministry. So that's That's something that I'm thankful for. Yeah, absolutely. You know, honestly, I, I hadn't really thought about that before, but now that you mentioned that, I specifically remember even the ministry that we were both a part of, we'd go, you know, on these short-term missions trips, and we always had the debrief, you know, conversation afterwards. And sometimes it would be after a day of ministry that we were, you know, mm-hmm. out on the streets doing the drama or, you know, at the orphanage playing with the kids or whatever the project was. And we'd come back and we would actually talk about things. And I remember my dad actually went as a team leader after I finished the the ministry and finished the internship, he went as a team leader uh, to October. Oh, I don't think I knew that. After. Yeah, but here's what's <laughs> so funny. is he is He's not a big processor. Like, he does not like to talk about these things. He's much better about it now, much yeah. less than he was, you know, 10, 15 years ago when this all happened. Um, but at the same time, I remember him talking when we got back and – you know, just this whole idea of he's like, I don't want to talk about my feelings and what I felt about blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it doesn't line up with the scripture and did we do good work? That's all I need to know. You know, and that was kind of his philosophy. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, that's, that's who he was, what, that would have been 20 years ago. Uh, and I think he's gotten better about it now. I think a lot by process of as I'm evolving and experiencing new things and then able to take it back kind of like in bite-sized chunks to my parents. My mom is probably a bit more open, I think, to, you know, like the crystal work and uh, Reiki and Feng Shui and, you know, things that are maybe a little bit more mystical. Um, She is much more accepting and open because she's really gotten into homeopathy and herbs and essential oils. So she sees a lot more of the connections in the natural world and how that ties back to scripture. Um, Whereas I think my dad, you know, at first we kind of all teased her. Do you remember the guy from um, my big fat Greek wedding with the Windex? And he's like, that was the thing, you know, like Windex was his thing for everything. That is my mom and lavender oil. (laughs) So we tease her about that all the time. We're like, oh, just put some lavender oil on it. It'll be just fine. But it's so interesting to me that, like, again, it's it's layer upon layer. And the more that I've been experiencing that I can bring back to conversation and do it in such a way, you know, we don't see eye to eye on everything. Um, not on religion, not on politics, not on, you know, a lot of things, but trying to find the middle ground when we can or just agreeing to disagree. And sometimes that can get heated and tense and you know, it doesn't go quite the way that I wanted to. So it's, 
it's just so interesting to me when we look at it, not only from who we each are individually, but then how we show up in our families, whether it's our families of origin or it's our families in which we're the head of the household. And, you know, these kids are the ones that we're responsible to help navigate through life and, you know, teach them how to listen to themselves really is, is the first key thing, but then also how to survive in the world. So, you know, once again, so many layers and how it all goes together. But back to your point, I love that you extrapolated that from the ministry experience because I don't know that I would have made that connection. But now that I'm hearing you say it, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. That totally makes sense that that's where we learned that from. Yeah. I mean, I, I put a lot of thought into it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, because I think at the end of it, when I finally did extract myself from the ministry experience, um, to be honest, the catalyst was getting diagnosed with cancer. Mm. Um, because even though I had had a lot of questions, at that point I was pregnant with my second. Um, eight months long, I got diagnosed and... I had this very clear moment of, holy shit, I cannot, if life is this short and this unpredictable, I can't keep doing this. Mm. I can't keep doing a thing that I don't even know that I believe in. Yeah. And that was, that was when I sort of like pulled myself out of everything and in so doing lost a lot of who I considered to be my family my circle and everything at the time. Um, but at the same time, I opened up this possibility of, well, well, who am I? What mm-hmm. is my voice? And as it relates to parenting, coming back to, okay, well, now I do get to create a whole different experience for my kids, right. you know, because we were in it. And so it was sort of, even though I had all these questions, I was like, well, it wasn't horrible. I mean, I turned out okay. You know, (laughs) you do that sort of thing. And I was just like, no, no, just turning out okay is not good enough for me. Right. I need to be intentional about all of this. And that's when things really shifted. And, um, and so at that point, looking back, I think what I didn't want to do is just cast my entire adult childhood and adult experience to that point to the side um I wanted to be like okay how has this served me how has it helped me to become who I am and that's where like I said I started you know you start creating other friends that haven't had that experience and to be honest the closest friends I have are still you and Jen and people who know what it's like to go through that Mm -hmm. but I realized yeah, like a conversation with you and I, if I sit down and say, oh, you know, your daughter said this to you, man, how did that make you feel? Did that, did that remind you of, you know, a time when you were with your mom? And that's just normal for us. Right. We're just like, oh, you know what? I didn't think of that. Or actually, yeah, it did. But then I would do that with other people. <laughs> and they're just like, uh, I don't know. You know, right. <laughs> just looking at me like, I'm totally weird. And I'm like, oh, people don't like talking about that kind of stuff. <laughs> That's too funny. Yeah. It, so, it, that reminds me of when you and I are together because we've, we've lived several states apart for most of our adult life. So even though we've been very close, we only ever lived together in the same place for that one year. Uh, but man, yeah. the two of us together and like, you know, we go out for dinner and we become best friends with our waitress or, you know, whoever the oh, yeah. case might be, because that's just who we are and, and how we connect to people. Uh, so I'm, I will always be grateful for that. <laughs> and speaking of, I'm so grateful for you and your time and just, you know, being willing because not everybody is, is able to do this to the extent, um, and really keyed into the, the personal, you know, learnings and all the rest of it. Thank you for sharing this part of your story with us. I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Oh, absolutely. I'm excited. You know, I was just like, yeah, I'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, we can go there. Because, yeah, I don't think it's a unique experience. That's the thing. Um, right. Well, I shouldn't say unique. I, maybe it is, but I think that more people are experiencing things like this than we think sometimes and I think talking about it helps helps other people to feel like oh okay I can talk about it too 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's really the whole idea. So whether you are here from Recovering Church Girls or you're here from the Single Parent Summit, um, this is going to sound really familiar to you guys. You know that this is this is why both of these projects exist, is to have the safe container to be able to engage in this level of conversation. And, you know, sometimes it's the light and funny stuff, and sometimes it's the big, heavy, oh, wow, I never thought of it that way, you know, type of, of moments of realization. So we get to do life together, and that means we get the high highs and the low lows. And this is the place where you can really, you know, let all this baggage go and start to unpack it if that is what you need. Or you can just jettison it and set the thing on fire. Like, you know, whichever, whatever method serves you, that's what we're here for. Uh, so again, August, thank you for being a part of both of these projects. And um, I'm just so grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you guys. Can't well, wait for the next one. I know, I know. It's going to be so much fun. Um, we already have something <laughs> in the works that we're not telling you guys about quite yet, but it is going to be good, let me tell you. <laughs> Uh, so just keep us uh, keep us posted here um, as we're we're continuing on. Uh, reach out on social media, share this if this is resonating with you, and you've got others in your circle uh, that you feel would benefit from that too. And uh, wait till you see we, we've got coming next on both fronts for recovering church girls and the single parent summit. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye bye.